All those who are kindergarten through fifth grade, if you guys would carefully, slowly make your way up front as they run. <laughs> kindergarten through fifth grade up here, and then the two, no, no, excuse me, the three, four, and five-year-olds can make their way uh, to, the, uh, to the back to join their teacher there. Hi, guys. All right. Is everybody doing okay this weekend? Has it been busy for you? We've, we've had, trying to keep up with Linda Roberts is not always easy. Uh, she, she is a, a goer and I, and I try to keep up. Basically, that's it. Actually, it's Linda Roberts and nine grandchildren because this weekend it was Friday night. was spent uh, time with uh, celebrating our, our uh, uh granddaughter's second birthday in Wichita so we did that and then we uh, uh, did some zoo time with all nine grandkids on Saturday and then towards Sunday late Saturday, uh, Saturday afternoon Sunday evening or Saturday e Saturday evening we attended a wedding for Jeremiah Clark and and many of you know Jeremiah Clark uh, Brian up here that's his son Jan uh, Brian, of course, has done a lot of things with, with worship and with playing bass, and Jan does a lot of things, CE team, and so we were there to support and to celebrate. Some of us were there and had a good time. It's always good to see uh, folks who are supporting and loving on Jeremiah, and Jeremiah's done some great things. He's connected with the church there in, in Hutch, and he's growing in his faith, and we noticed that, so that's exciting. But we got to see them uh, exchange their vows, you know, love, honor, and cherish till death do us part. And uh, they, they did it successfully. They said, I do to those things. And so it was a, it was a good day. We enjoyed it. Uh, establishing a covenant is kind of where we're going today, just to let you know a little ahead of time. Uh, the series we're in is Hearts of Stone. Uh, Eric kind of alluded to that a little bit, uh, where, where the people are. In, in this part of the Bible, Malachi. Matter of fact, let me, let me tell you again why we chose Malachi. I wanted to go to Malachi because these are, this is actually God's last message transmitted through Malachi before there's just silence and the next message you hear is Jesus coming. You know, that, that, uh, that, that, those passages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John when Jesus come, comes and is born. So the last message from God, I thought there's some significance in that. But then when we were in Zephaniah, the same thing was there. And because thus saith the Lord, right? So there's significance in that alone. But that, the timing of this is, this is post-exile. The people have returned to Jerusalem. They've rebuilt the wall. They've rebuilt the temple. And there's some rebuilding needing to be done in their hearts, and, and honestly, the, the heart thing has always been a continuous thing throughout the Old Testament, if you've, if you've seen that. It's just been a constant work for God. And, and so we're going we're gonna to look at chapter 2 this morning in Malachi. Uh, I'm beginning verse 10 through 16. Verses 10, we're going to read that. Before I do, in the first nine verses, that was a message to those who, who are in leadership, those who teach and preach. It was actually in this, it was to the priest. And verse 7 said this, For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the message of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. 
So as it was challenging, you know, for the words that God was speaking uh, to not just the people, but to the leadership of the people, you have a great responsibility. And I think it's for us, it's you have a great responsibility in handling the scripture. That's, that's, that's a, the burden on my shoulders, and I want to take that and respect that so much. So I want you to join me in prayer. We're going to pray for me. <laughs> what we're really going to pray is for the scripture to be heard this morning, and that I don't mess it up. Are, are you with me on that? Understand? I want you to know his word. I want you to know his word. So you pray with me. I'm going to say it, and then you guys amen it when I'm done, okay? Here we go. Father in heaven, we praise you that this morning we had the freedom and, Lord, we had the gift laying before us uh, of your word, your communication to humanity. Lord, this is your message. It, it's from your word that we're going to look and examine and, and, and peel back and, and, and bring exactly, Lord, what you're, you're telling to the children of Israel and to us today, Lord, what we could glean from that what we could be encouraged by, challenged by. Lord, if there is correction, let's, let's just say it. Lord, correct us if we need it. We want to be your children, and we want to follow your direction. So, Lord, your word is laid before us. Open it up to us. Help us to understand it and to grasp it and be encouraged and strengthened by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, Malachi chapter 2, 10 through 16. Here's what the passage says. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by, by, by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why. It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the God made now has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard, and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. God hates unfaithfulness. God, overall, I, I want to make this simple. This, this has been a, a, a real wrestling all week for me. But, but man, if I were to put it into words, 
that he's expressing before his kingdom, before his people, is God hates unfaithfulness. That, and I, I think that's a statement you all know. God wants faithful people. That's another way to put it. What he desires, what he, what he wants from his kingdom and through his covenant is kingdom people. So this morning, this is the direction that, that God is speaking through Malachi. He's, 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 on one part, he's correcting their unfaithfulness. On the other part, he's calling them to faithfulness. And that's the direction I want to go. The message I want to hear this morning is, is, man, God hates unfaithfulness. We cannot be unfaithful. He calls us to faithfulness. So that's, that, that's where I'd like to, to take, especially uh, following what Malachi says here. First of all, God wants his covenant people to be faithful to him. He wants his people to be faithful to him. Uh, God created a people for himself. He, he, I mean, he started with Abraham. I, you know, after all the sinfulness in the world, the brokenness, uh, humanity just could be wiped out. Instead, he chooses one man and says, okay, I'm going to create a people for myself. So through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob who was named in, in, in chapter 1 saying, oh, I love Jacob, I love Jacob, committed to Jacob, the, and, and established a covenant with, with those people, with the, the people of those patriarchs, with that nation of Israel. He created a, a covenant, and, and uh, you know, when you think about the covenant in, in between a husband and a wife, Moy, there, there is, I'm, I'm going to bring all that I am, and, and it, it's almost like each one has a responsibility, right? What are you bringing into the marriage, and what are you bringing into the marriage? Well, you know, my love, my faithfulness, all, all that I'm going to bring together. But when it comes to a covenant with God, uh, what is God bringing to this covenant? Oh my goodness, he owns it all. He's bringing you into covenant. Okay, what do you have? Well, God, you could have all my stuff. God doesn't need your stuff. What, what is it God exactly wants in covenant? He wants, yeah, best answer is you. He wants you. He wants your attention. He wants your faithfulness. He wants that relationship. And, and what we see throughout the scriptures, what we see through his, his story, his story is, is this fact that God has been in pursuit of a people for himself, people who are going to be faithful. Malachi, boy, he's, he's teaching them. Say, listen, you've been unfaithful. Uh, matter of fact, in, in, in verse 11, he says that. God, well, verse 11 says, Judah has been unfaithful. God's chosen people continue to fail to honor the covenant of God. What, the expectations to be in covenant with God is follow what I say. You know, in the Old Testament, it was here's the laws. Here's all the laws. You follow these laws and, and uh, we'll connect you. But they continue to fail in obedience before God. I, I find it interesting that the last part of verse 10, and, and wrestled with this a little bit because of the wording. Uh, the last phrase asks the question, why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Why do you continue in disobedience by being unfaithful to one another? I thought it was just before God. I, I think it's a great place to start when we think about covenant. How how connected that you and I are in a covenant with, with God. It's not just about me and God. It, it, it's about me, or it's about God and his people. That, that there, is, there is such a connection here. And I think this is important, especially in Malachi. Obviously, the leadership has something to do with the whole nation. 
And every one of us has a responsibility to each other. If I choose, hey, I'm going to be in covenant with God, I'm going to live my life, and yet I'm going to be disrespectful of God in my actions and my choices, that's not just between me and God. That's, that's me breaking within the covenant that God established, not with me, but with his people. I, so I think the value of the fact that he says that, that we've been unfaithful to each other is that because we're together in this relationship with God. I think that's valuable. Man, within the New Testament, we go to so many verses that talks about our responsibility for each other. Encouraging, strengthening, supporting, even, even correcting. We need each other. We're, we're actually bonded together if we're in Jesus. And so I think that verse, last part of verse 10 is valuable. Let's, let's go on. And in and, and and, and verse 11 it says, Judah's been unfaithful, but a detestable thing has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. There's that disobedience. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. What's the, what's the problem? Well, they dese- it, the verse says, desecrated the temple of the Lord. Uh, another way to, to translate that is what they've desecrated is God's holiness. I mean, right there in the scripture, you're thinking, oh, he desecrated the building, ultimately desecrating God himself. And that's the way to think about it. They have desecrated, they have defiled through their disobedience, the very holiness of God. The holiness of God. And the last part of verse 11, well, by doing what? Well, they've already done it in several different ways. They've done it through their disobedience. Even in chapter 1, there's a mention of that. Remember, it was pointed at the priest, but who is bringing the offerings? It, Basically, in chapter 1, it was the reason uh, they, were, they were reprimanded is because they were offering sacrifices that was unacceptable before God. I mean, they were bringing animals who were blind, lame, and sick. They, they were bringing the worst for sacrifices. And so, they would, and so the priests would accept it and sacrifice. That was their problem. The priests were saying, oh, yeah, this is okay. I'm going to worship. I'm going to offer this up to the Lord. But the, you know, so the priests were at fault there, but the people were bringing them this worthless, uh, worthless offerings. So part of that, that's part of the disobedience. But in verse 11, here is, here's the bottom line of what he's talking about. Here's, here's the disobedience that was taking place. Um, desecrating the sanctuary of the Lord he loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. They were marrying women who worship a foreign god. Verse 11. Uh, and, and matter of fact, in verse 12, it comes along and says, hey, you know, this is part of the prayer. We just need to remove them out of the camp. We need to remove them from where we are. Again, how connected we are. And, and if someone is being disobedient this way and, and, and living this kind of life, which is duplicity, we call it, uh, you know, not living just my covenant here. I'm living a, a covenant elsewhere. You know, someone who's worshiping another God. There's the problem there. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, but, but it said, what we need to do is something radical. May the Lord remove them. Just get them out of here. That's how severe it is. Now, I, I find it interesting the way that Malachi words this, or that the Lord uh, refers this, uh, in, in the fact that it says, you know, someone uh, marrying that person who worships a foreign God. 
And in the commands and in the instruction early on, it says, do not marry foreign women. Remember that? Don't, do not marry foreign women. When you come into the promised land, don't marry those, those women who were there. Don't, don't uh, exchange your children. Don't, don't take their daughters to be your, your daughter-in-laws. Don't take the sons. Don't exchange them. Don't do that. Matter of fact, they were supposed to wipe out these people. And, and, and they didn't. I find it interesting. Now the, the instruction is, hey, listen, do not marry someone who is worshiping a foreign god. I mean, that was the basis for the law. Don't marry foreign women because guess what's going to happen? They're going to bring their other gods into your household and guess what it's going to do? Then, then you're going to become a, a country of idolatry. Guess what happened? All that idolatry was because they were unfaithful to God. Now they're returning. Hearts need to be corrected. And they're saying, listen, uh, you, you've been unfaithful to, to the, within those marriages. You've been unfaithful. And that's, that's the key part of it, is, is idolatry was taking place. Uh, it's interesting. I want to stop here and, and just because a thought came across out of Matthew chapter 1, you'd see the genealogy of Jesus. This is the family line of Jesus. And in that family line of Jesus, there are two ladies listed in there. Not a lot of ladies are put in there. Genealogy are followed by, by each of the, the, the fathers. But in, in, within the genealogy is a lady named Rahab. Are you familiar with Rahab? If you're familiar with the book of Joshua, when they, they went and attacked and leveled the city of Jericho, they saved Rahab, the prostitute, a Canaanite woman, uh, out of that dis destruction of Jericho and saved her and her family because she had a fear of God as, as they were approaching and looking over the city. She knew and heard what had been taking place. So she displayed a faith or just knowing that God is going to be able to wipe out the city and said, would you rescue us or would you save us through your attack? And they did. They rescued. And then Rahab has become a part of the lineage of Jesus. Guess what? She's a foreigner. <laughs> but what was the difference about Rahab? She displayed some kind of a faith or trust that he is a mighty God. That's the being. We don't know her whole story, except she ends up in the line with Jesus. Also, not far from her came the lady Ruth. Are you familiar with Ruth? The book of Ruth. Wonderful story. Uh, about a Moabite woman, another foreigner, who, who marries into a family, uh, long story, but, but family. In, anyway, her husband dies, and she dedicates herself to stay with her mother-in-law, Ruth, who is a Jew. And she made this statement in, in chapter 1, verse 16 of the book of Ruth. She says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. See, mother-in-law was saying, hey, go back to your family, go back to your home, I'm going to go back to my homeland. This was, this was Naomi telling Ruth to do this. But then Ruth said, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and guess what? Your God will be my God. Isn't that, a, that just is amazing to me. Because part of the brokenness of Israel and, and things like that, then, then you read the line of Jesus and here they are. You know, ladies who at one time obviously worshipped other gods, but then came to know the God of Israel. Because of what was God was doing with Israel, they saw, perceived, and wanted to be a part of that. 
So when it comes to, to Malachi saying, hey, it, it was about their focus. It was about their dedication uh, to uh, uh, God that made them right. It was uh, uh, their dedication to a foreign God that brought the defilement, that brought the defilement. We, we could go into Ezra. Ezra goes into the passage where uh, specific homes, homes, leaders, and others were identified. Men who had taken wives who were foreigners. And, and the, the, the decision by the, the whole community was to separate themselves and to send off the children and, and, and the wives. Just to, to let them go. Malachi's just a little different in message. It makes it clear as to the, the, the whole sinfulness and the ugliness that they've been participating in. And, and so, ultimately, here's what God has wanted to, to understand this. That God desires faithful people. He, he, he desires a, a people to be faithful to him. That's the reason for all the laws. That's for the direction. How do we, how do we be faithful to you? Well, follow my word. Follow the, the laws that I've laid down. That's Old Testament. But, but today, God desires the same thing. That, that's never changed. What God has desired is, is even greater, I believe. It's a doing away or the fulfillment of the law. It was completed. It was absolutely completed through Jesus, through his sacrifice. And, and so what we have today is the opportunity to be a part of a brand new covenant. Not of law, but of grace. Of, of his wonderful grace and the fact that Jesus, through his blood, has brought about a new covenant. And through that cleansing of his blood, that we could be part in a relationship with God. And doing that together. That's important, especially as we go on to, to verse 13. Because it goes to a second covenant that really is established in, in a, the person's life in, in Israel. Uh, and it's this. God wants his people to be faithful in marriage. God wants his people to be faithful in marriage. Uh, Israel pours out tears. And in verse 13, they are pouring out tears over the altar. And, and the reason they're pouring out tears over the altar is, is because God rejects their offering. In verse 14, it says, why? You know, the, the people actually say, well, why? Why aren't you accepting our, our, uh, our, our offering? Why, why aren't you recognizing it? And, and the reason is because, uh, because they were unfaithful uh, in their marriage. It, the scripture says they were unfaithful in their marriage. It's interesting to see how that word will be translated. A lot of the versions that we have says unfaithful. But there's other versions that uses the word treacherous. You've been treacherous within your marriage. You've been treacherous within your marriage. There's some important things. I, I want you, and this is, man, if I, if I were to glean one thing out of this, this passage, it would be this statement. For the Jews, for the Jews, the marriage covenant was intimately connected to the covenant they have with God. The covenant that they established with, with their spouse was intimately connected with their covenant with God. It, it meant, so, it, Mike, we look at the, the, the Jewish nation and everything they did had something to do with, with my covenant with God. That, that was the law laid out. 
Because why? 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 He's most important. He's primary. He's, he's superior. He's God. He's our creator. Where, what other place could we put him? He's not secondary. He's not my Sunday thing. He, he's the God of my every day, of my every decision. And, and for the Jews, man, with the laws laid out, that's exactly what they saw. That's exactly what they were experiencing. I have a covenant with you. That, therefore, it makes a difference in who I'm choosing to, to establish this marriage covenant with. Okay? You got that? That's so important. Now, now in, in verse 14, in verse 14, it lays out even some definitions of what marriage is. When it comes to that, that question, why, is that it is because the Lord is, is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. Well, who is the wife of your youth? Another way to put it, your first wife. Your first covenant relationship established, meaning that maybe, maybe these uh, Jewish men had lots of different relationships or, or established covenants with other ladies. And, and, and then he says, but you have been unfaithful to her. You've, you've been unfaithful to, unfaithful to that first covenant established. And, and let's say with the Jews, again, that's an established relationship, covenant with God, and, and my spouse has a covenant with God. There, there's unity there. there. There's something special there. There's a peace. But what was happening over the years is they've been letting go of the wife of their youth, putting them aside, and taking on ladies who are worshiping foreign gods. Specifically, I think that's what's happening in this passage. I think we learn from this. I really think we learn from this. And then, boy, that, that is not a good thing. This is where God hates the unfaithfulness. Remember that. He hates the unfaithfulness. It goes on to talk about other parts of, of what marriage is. Uh, the next, next phrase is the, the woman that you are partner with. The person that you are in partnership with or companionship is another way to put it. That companionship is, is being able to share. Now, this, this is what marriage is, I think. And, and someone you marry is going to be someone you share like interest in, the same interest in, and, and also the same values. Someone that, that you're going to have something, that, again, that word of sharing is important. And... and that leads us to that last phrase. It says, says in verse 14, that the wife of your marriage covenant, the wife of your marriage, actually, it, it would be best to translate that the, the, the wife of your covenant. Because it's not, follow this, because it's not just, hey, I spoke my words of promise to this lady. But I've, I've spoken words of, of promise before my God, my primary promise, my primary covenant. And, and the wife that I've asked and received to come into to this covenant with me is, is the same, you know, she has the same covenant with my God. He has the same covenant. I believe the whole passage, if we understand that, it's not the breaking of that covenant. In order that, that, well, I got a covenant here, this lady who's really pretty, and she smells good, and is different from the wife I had here, even though she worships another God, come here, I want to join with you. I want to join with you. But there, there's no longer any sharing in covenant here. 
It's a breaking of the overall covenant that we were expected to have. Understand this thing of marriage. It is not just about you and this other person. To those who, of you who are respecting and want to value what God directs in our lives, God wants your faithfulness. He wants your faithfulness in covenant with him. And part of that is the decision who I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Now, the New Testament expresses it like this. Paul comes in 2 Corinthians 6.14, and he simply says this, Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. It's, it's taken on into the New Testament. I have a covenant with God through Jesus, and I want to, to have a relationship with someone who is in covenant with God. That, I mean, that's what the teaching, that's what, what's laid out. Matter of fact, uh, if we go on, why? You know, let me lay out just other details of the scripture before we close. I want to add some other things here as we get into the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, so, you know, they ask, well, why? Why do you want us to stick with uh, the lady of our youth? Why do you want, our, you know, the one we started partner and, and covenant there? And he said, for godly uh, offspring. For godly offspring. Hey, more. More for what? More for his kingdom. That was, man, that's a command clear back from the beginning, right? Go forth and multiply. But I think it's always had that idea that in multiplying, there's more precious children. And I mean even adults. When I say children, I mean children before God who are able to worship and celebrate him. Understand, man, that's the heart of God. We heard the heart of God a couple places. There in Zephaniah and again in, in chapter 1 where he says, I have loved Israel. I've, even through, it is amazing to me that God is persistent and he's faithful to the promises he's made and that, that there's even a Malachi that he's speaking to his people. Even after all the disobedience and the, and the frustration, the, the God who's given everything into this relationship and Frustrated with his bride. Oh, and, and the whole point is to bring about Jesus for a new covenant. Let's fulfill the law. And man, that's where we are today, right? That's where we are today. I, th I think it's important. To, in verse 16, it kind of wraps this up. And, and it depends on what version you're reading. If you're reading NIV, it says, The man who hates and divorces his wife in, in like the ASV and the NSV. Uh, older translations, it actually said, God hates divorce. It, it, it'll just say, God, I don't know what version you're looking at, but in, in those olders, and there is difficulty in translating that, and I think you could do it either way. Well, no, there's different meanings in both. One to say clearly that God hates divorce is absolutely a message from God. Another way to say that, God hates unfaithfulness. God, God's wants and desires us to be faithful to him in this relationship, in this covenant relationship. Divorce is seen as a pathway toward idolatry. In the context of what we're reading here, why, does, why would God hate divorce? Because it affects your relationship with him. It, it breaks, it breaks and, and, and affects that relationship you have with him. And, and the effect of everybody else connected, let's not forget that. The, the joining of together, of being together. 
In order to take a wife who does not, you know, divorce happens in order to take a wife who does not share the uh, covenant with Yahweh. That, that was the Old Testament. That's what Malachi is saying. Why does he say, I hate divorce? Because it breaks that relationship. Primary covenant. Primary covenant. We enter into the New Testament. Well, and we even know this in the Old Testament. Divorce is permissible. Divorce is permissible. And it's happened. And, and you all know that it's broken relationships. It's, 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 it's broken in so many ways. Who, when I say, who loves divorce? Does anybody raise their hand? I absolutely don't believe so. I, I think there's some people who absolutely had to go through divorce. Absolutely. Had, had to face it because of uh, some ugliness. But that's humanity. We've been speaking about God's heart. And his heart is for his people. And his heart is for people, his people, to learn what it means to be faithful and loving to him. To come into that great relationship. So he takes us in all our brokenness, in our broken relationships, and, and, and he's, he's uh, uh, fulfilled that, that great, uh, the, the Old Testament laws, he fulfilled that through Jesus, through his blood, has established a covenant that says you're forgiven. That, that establishes a covenant that, that says, you're forgiven. You are my child. Enter into this covenant. And so whatever we do today in relationships, if, I, if there's any foundational message we want, it, it's to put him first. It's to consider him. When you're dating or you singles or you're younger, uh, especially younger kids that are in here, when you're thinking about someday I'm going to marry, uh, marry someone, man, begin thinking today. I want to find someone who's in the same covenant relationship that I am. I want to be in the same covenant relationship that I am. Or if, if I'm in a relationship and I came, and, and even Paul makes the point of saying, listen, if you're in a relationship with a spouse who's not a believer, what does he say? Divorce them? He doesn't. He doesn't. He says, hey, live for God and and." Part of the hope is that they too might come to know the Lord. Even that salvation might be embraced by that spouse. If they, if they decide to divorce you because, man, we have a conflict here, he says, okay. He opens the door for it. Oh, man, we're a mess. Anybody who want to join me and say, we're a mess as a people. And, and I look at the Old Testament, I say, how is it that God has been so patient with them? And then I think about today, how is it that God is so patient with us? Are you with me on that? I look at my own life, and I think, God, that, that takes me to my knees, and I give him praise. I say, God, I'm so thankful for your loving grace and your mercy that is so evident in Jesus to receive the sweet forgiveness that, that you offer through the spread of his blood. That, that, that wasn't just anything. That was him sending his son into this world. Giving his everything for you and I. And we have the opportunity. What do we have to give him? Yeah. <laughs> Some of you are looking up here and say, oh man. Bad deal on God's part. But uh, oh, we all have to say that, don't we? Oh, I can't, I can't fathom his love sometimes. I just... It's so amazing, isn't it? 
That he loves us no matter our brokenness, no matter our ugliness, no matter the divorces or the broken relationships or what we do to each other. He loves and pursues us. And guess what? He wants faithful people. I think we ought to give it to him. (laughs) Are you all with me on that? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you. I thank you for your word. Sometimes we have to wrestle through this and, and even see some things that oh Lord that brings about shame in our in our lives and the the thinking of uh, Lord how we at times have done things that just seems like we're so distant from you and yet for us to be able to remember Jesus and we're going to have that opportunity here in just a minute to to do the remembering of Jesus of his death that he took the punishment for that sinfulness that, that he took it all upon his shoulders and laid it out upon the cross. Oh, we're a grateful people. Lord, we know and understand through your word. We see the examples laid on the Old Testament and the New Testament to see what faith does. That's the beginnings of our relationship with you, placing our faith in Jesus. But then our walk with you continues to be in that faith, growing, changing, becoming the people that you want us to be. God, bless us, strengthen us, bless the marriages here, bless the future marriages, Lord. Help us, Lord, to keep you as our primary focus. You are our God, we are your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.